0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship podcast. This is episode 60. And today I'm talking to a friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other for 18 years. Um, and he was a junior officer on board my very first submarine. Uh, and then he he goes through his career progression. It involved uh, following his his. Uh, first sub tour, he did a shore tour. At the end of that, he did a year in Afghanistan, and then he got out of the navy. And then his path led him towards uh, seminary and becoming a pastor, and then eventually led him back into the military. He missed being in the navy and came back in as a chaplain. And this is something that was it was requested by a listener, as well as something I kind of had like bumping around in my head is is talking to a chaplain and he's a guy I know that not just is a chaplain but has a really interesting career progression uh, that I thought could not only, uh, like he could not only address all the chaplain things I wanted to talk about to basically bring some light to the program so that people kind of know what's available there because there's a lot more than you think Uh, and the path to becoming one if that's something someone's interested in which is what the listener requested and then uh, the last thing was the leadership stuff. Like we kind of talked about how he's seen things change, some of his exposure when he was with the Marines to different styles of leadership and stuff like that. So uh, check it out and I hope you guys enjoy it. Awesome. All right. So like we talked about before, just we'll start with your background in the Navy, which is extremely unique. And I'm interested to talk about that. And that's kind of how we know each other from the beginning of your time in the Navy and then how you arrived at where you're at right now.
1: Sweet, yeah, man. It's been it's been a long and winding road. So yeah. I I commissioned in '99. Uh, feels <laughs> like forever ago. Um, yeah. And I joined the, the submarine force. And, you know, I did my schools right at the beginning. Power school, yeah. uh, sub school, all that. And I joined the Louisville in 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was out on Westpac at that time, so that was pretty cool. Flew out yeah. to Singapore and uh, jumped on the ship and. Just got immersed in what it was like to, to qualify on a submarine as a J.O., which was yeah. pretty intense for me. It was more yeah, than I thought it would be. For um, sure. But it was fun. And it was good timing, actually, because, you know, we're out at sea. We could do a yeah, lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So there we were. Uh, did that. Um, did another deployment with Louisville before I left. Uh, that one, you know, you we were there for that one. That one was awesome. Um, yeah. And uh, beginning of OIF,
0: Yep. Right. that was my very first deployment ever.
1: Actually, Real? yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, that's that's a pretty good one right there. It yeah, was long. It, I remember we were was. complaining it was long, and then yep. um, then uh, the CEO Jabali was like, "Suck it up. There's people on the ground. What are yep. you guys complaining about?" <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I still show people that boom video. Everybody, oh, do you? <laughs> yeah, everybody gets a kick out of it. It's still on YouTube.
1: Yep. Uh. <laughs> I've shown a few uh, people. A few midshipmen yeah. that when I was at the Naval Academy. Nice. Um, But yeah, so did that Um, after after Louisville. I stayed out in Hawaii at a nasty pack. Uh, I was doing the the P E O class. I don't know if you know what that is, but yeah,
0: it's um, like the engineer qualifications. Yeah, right? yeah,
1: yeah. So all the JOs at the end of their their time, uh, their first tour, they they fly out to D C. Do an interview. They take a test and all that kind of stuff. So mm. it's mostly self study, and and I was the teacher. So if you could ever teach a self study class that's the way to go. Yeah. I was going to say, what
0: do you even do if it's all self study? Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a little bit of formal instruction, but most of it, they're just on their yeah. own. So you kind of grade their work and gotcha. answer the questions, that kind of stuff. But, but it was pretty sweet uh, shore yeah. duty as well. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that for two years and, um, was getting out, but I was on a, th- I had three years left on my contract at the beginning of my shore duty. So I did two years of shore duty, and then, um, my last year I was going to do a comeback as a super J O, but it was also yeah. like OIF OEF going on. Mm-hmm. And so I got on an IA to go to Afghanistan for a year. Yeah. Um, so that was like one of those experiences, uh, not quite like what we were talking about earlier, but one of those experiences where, right. where you dread doing it ahead of time, a year away from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds bad. I'd been, I got married, uh, let's see, like a year and a half before that. Yeah. And really didn't want to leave, um, you know, for a whole year, but did that, and it turned out to be awesome. I love my time out there,
0: yeah. What did you do out there because I knew you went, and I there's actually a picture of you in the museum in New London. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if you knew that. In uh, um, I've been told
1: that, like holding yeah. my daughter or something like that.
0: <laughs> I took because that's where I went to my first shore duty, and I took, I went in there. I, t- I think my family came to visit. I'm like, I know that guy, <laughs> like, yeah.
1: yeah. I was, uh, yeah. So, what does a submariner do in the middle of the desert, right? Right. Um, <laughs> I did a couple things. I was like mentoring some of the Afghan army guys, okay. um, the training officer and the security officer. And we were up in the Northern part of the country. It was a pretty um, safe area, relatively mm-hmm. speaking for us. Yeah. Uh, mazar sharif um, So it was a good time. But while we were there, I kind of took over not really as like the formal contracting officer rep um, for the army, but just um, sort of like helping out a lot. So I was working a lot with all the locals because they were doing some minor projects on our base and and out in town and stuff like that. So I was hanging out with all these locals every day. Um, I have my interpreter with me. So, you know, just joking around with them, hearing about what what it was like for them and and just hanging out all the time with with them. It was fun.
0: Yeah. I was going to say that that, that sounds like it would be, if nothing else, a learning experience, just because like, Getting to like be in a position to interact with them all the time, like, and just like learn what daily life was like, learn how the war was affecting them, stuff like that.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was a good time for me. Um, so the year actually went pretty fast and I came back and was like, all right, I'm out. Yeah. And, um, and I just went to a headhunter. I was like, I need a job. Yeah. (laughs) Couldn't get one from (laughs) Afghanistan. So whatever you got for (laughs) me works. And I ended up as a business manager in like the Western corner of Virginia at a company called ABB. They make power transformers. Um, So it was, you know, it was an interesting experience. It was different type of leadership where, um, you know, it's like a civilian scenario and, you know, there's no rank structure. There's nothing like that. So I had to learn sort of how to relate. It was, it, it was cool. Um but I'm I'm dreading that. Like <laughs> like when <laughs> I
0: retire, I'm like, what do you mean I can't knife hand people and yell at them? Like what you
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I that's remember, my move. Uh, like I don't know how to interact with these people. I like raised my voice. I wasn't really like a yeller ever. Yeah. Um but I remember like like I raised my voice in a meeting and everyone looked at me like, What? What are you <laughs> like, doing? What are you doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, don't do that again.
0: Welcome to civilians. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, completely
1: different. <laughs> and uh it was all right. I love you know, I liked, I liked a lot of it. Um, it was a global company. So I got to travel around to like China, oh, Poland wow. and, and Ireland and like just see some weird stuff that I had yeah. never thought I would see, which was, which was a lot of fun. Um, but I really, this sounds cheesy, but I missed the Navy. I missed yeah. all my friends. I missed um, the camaraderie that we had, and I—I I never would have said that before I got out. But when I did, I was like, <laughs> nobody Man. ever
0: does until like a couple <laughs> years in, and then like it's funny. I've seen some kids that got out after their first enlistment um, on the la the last submarine I was on the BN and. Um, on Facebook you kind of see the change happen you know like the first year they're just like this is the best <laughs> thing ever and then like the second year you start to see them like sharing stuff and like commenting on stuff about how when I was in you know and then yep, it's like yep. <laughs> by like year three they're just like full of pride and reminiscing on all the good times and stuff and it's just like hey remember when you said you'd never do
1: that yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did all that. And yeah. so I got back in. That's what led me eventually get back in.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what was the, cause I feel like you were already, uh, doing like minister type stuff. I feel like when you were still in Hawaii, is that right?
1: Uh, not really. You were like,
0: you were like involved in your church.
1: I was involved in my church. Pretty heavily. Um,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: It was pretty heavily, but you know, like honestly, I don't, I mean, I don't know how much like, like I shared this with people at the time, mm-hmm. but my life was, was pretty messed up at that time. Okay. Um, big time hypocrite, like teaching Sunday school on Sundays and, um, like out drinking hard, going to strip clubs and stuff like that with the war oh, wow. on during the week, um, or in some of the weekends. And, um, it was like during that, that short duty time, two years mm. there where I started to reflect a lot and all that. And, um, I was like, I can't, I can't be two people. I got to choose like one direction mm-hmm. or the other. So yeah. I chose like, Hey, I'm going to go back to my faith. I'm going to go. That's, that's the direction I want to go. Yeah. So I think the people that I'm a chaplain now, we haven't got to that part, right? But the people <laughs> at that, that time, um, that, you know, that knew me then that really knew me were probably pretty surprised to hear that, that I'd become a chaplain. Um, it was a big change. Yeah. Um, so I,
0: I guess what I was going to, where I was going with that was, I was going to ask is kind of what led you to Cause, cause you, I didn't know that there was such a big gap. I thought you kind of transitioned from the Navy into like the ministry and then came back in the Navy as a chaplain. So like, how did you, what was the path from like, uh, separating from the military? And then you, you did some civilian jobs. Like what triggered you going to school and then coming back in as a, cause, cause did you, were you, um, uh, and I don't know correct my terminology, but like, yeah. cause I know, I know everybody calls it something different, but like you went to seminary and I'm assuming we're like, I thought you finished and then you were at a church for a while and then you came in. Is that right? Yeah, or am I just yeah. speculating? No, okay. you got
1: it. And that's actually part of the, <laughs> that's part of the like process and um, mm-hmm. requirements to come in as a chaplain okay. one is to work for a little while. Uh, but I think for me, it started, um, you know, like looking back, of course, like just sort of seeing and uh, feeling that struggle, that tension of like, hey, professing one thing, living another way, yeah. and not being happy with with that in my own life. Um, I think I carry that with me still in the way that like I interact with people, interact with people right. in the Navy, and that's been just something that was really hard for me. And um, you know, try to help people not go down that path. When I was, yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, I imagine those experiences, though, and uh, like when you're talk, like so if I sat down with a, with somebody that has been living that lifestyle their entire life, um, I don't know that I'd be able to connect with them like I probably would with somebody like you that like. So if I sit down and I need counseling with a chaplain and I'm some like, you know, like standard issue E5 on a submarine, I'm going to connect yeah. with you a lot more than you know what I mean, because not only do you have my submarining context, but just that lifestyle of like. Most twenty somethings are out partying and doing all kinds of hijinks and that's like it's oh, like yeah, they're man. gonna no. you're gonna you're gonna be able to relate to them on that level.
1: Yeah, it happens all it, the time. I'll yeah. be like talking to someone, they'll be a little pensive, they're like, I'm not sure yeah. what I can share. Right. I'm like, well, that's all you did. Let me tell you like Yeah, let me tell I've you. A story. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and where I'm at now. And yeah, and that, that really opens up the door. Yeah. That's um awesome. but yeah, when we were in Afghanistan, we didn't have a chaplain for I wanna say like five or six months at the beginning. Okay. And so I kind of filled in as, as the chaplain. Okay. Um, and that was crazy. Uh, we had yeah. like a memorial service that I did. I'm like, I'm not oh, qualified wow. to do this. But <laughs> here we go. I'll try. Yeah. Um, so we were doing all sorts of stuff like that. And, you know, eventually a chaplain came out there, uh, army reservist and, and took over. But I think that kind of planted the seed of, of like, Hey, if you do go back, maybe this is something that you could do. Yeah. Um, so when I was missing the Navy, working at ABV for a while, uh, making power transformers, and like, this isn't doing it for me. Yeah. I was like, and I wanted to go back. Um, I felt like maybe I should explore this this path and uh, mm-hmm. see if I could be a chaplain. So I moved back to California, uh, went to seminary, and uh, started my degree, started working in a church at the same time, mm-hmm. and just started to get some experience and and really try to figure out uh, like, is this, is this for me? Yeah. Uh, honestly I felt sort of ashamed of my past and I was like, man, if all these people, uh, all these like super Christians around me knew my story, they'd probably kick me out of the room right now. Oh geez. Um, I can't. Yeah. I, no, I don't think they would have, but that's what I was <laughs> yeah. thinking at the time.
0: Right. Uh, I was going to say they. All,
1: everybody's <laughs> got a history, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I had to wrestle with that and sort of yeah. like, um, you know, accept forgiveness for a lot of that stuff and, and move on. Um, but yeah, seminary itself, it's, it's about three years, um, a three-year degree. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was going through that time and I would say around year two, I felt pretty firmly like, yeah, I think this is what I'm supposed to do is to go be a chaplain. Uh, so yeah, I started the process. There's something called the chaplain candidate program. Okay. Uh, so while you're in seminary, you can kind of contact a recruiter and say, Hey, I'm working towards this goal of becoming a chaplain and, uh, they'll work with you. Uh, through that process, uh, get you some training every once in a while as it becomes available, mm. and uh, and just sort of like advise you and let you know, hey, like you need to get more experience before you apply, or, or you're kind of weak in this area or that area, and they kind of guide you through that process. So it's called like the cha- yeah chaplain candidate program. It's is a pretty it, good good thing.
0: Is it like extremely competitive? Like, because I don't know how many like quotas the Navy has to fill as far as the chaplain corps goes. So is it like like if somebody is trying to come in that way or even like get commissioned while they're enlisted or whatever, um, or laterally transfer. Is it, is that, is it extremely competitive to get, to get into?
1: Yeah, it goes up and down. Um, right now it's, it's not too hard. Um, okay. you know, as long as you meet the requirements. Right. Um, at that time it was sort of on a downward side. So I was pretty nervous about like, yeah. making sure that I, I hit everything. Okay. Um, but the chaplain candidate program, that's not hard to get into that. That's a you know pretty win-win sort of situation for, for both the chaplain core and the person to sort of fill each other out.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you're just like kind of on hot standby. And then when they have a quota to fill, they look at like who's the most competitive and they're like you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, they got some okay. history on you. You can go to the, so there's also um, there's a chaplain school. I think it's like eight weeks long mm-hmm. and you can go to the first five weeks of that as a chaplain candidate. So they can kind of, you know, see you in that environment as well okay. and, and hear what you're about. That gotcha. sort of yeah. So I did that. I was working at a church out in California. Um, worked for actually two churches. One was larger where I was just like one of the, one of the pastors on staff. Mm. And then the second one was smaller. Their, their pastor had, had gotten sick actually and had to step down mm. and they were just looking for someone to fill in the gap for, for a year or so while they tried to find someone else. So I jumped in and, um, got to preach every week for a year, which was, nice. you know, when you're first starting out, that's the thing that's different. Think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. People get nervous about.
0: Oh yeah. Public speaking, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was an A school instructor and then, uh, I was the SEL for the last year I was there. And so I was in front of, you know, 30 staff and 150 students multiple times a week. And then just, it, it just instructing in front of like 30 students was like a little nerve wracking at the beginning. But then I was like, standing in front of the students. And then I'd be spe- speaking at graduations and stuff. And it was just like the other services on the base would come ask you to be a guest speaker. So it was it was nerve wracking.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's cool. But once you do it a little while, right? It yeah. Yeah. It kind of fits in. And,
0: well, yeah. I, I, luckily for me, and I say this a lot on the podcast, luckily for me in the student environment, I quickly realized that th- kind of the dynamic, like the way the students looked at me as a senior chief that, like, they thought I was a superhero. So it's just like, <laughs> I, it became really easy because I, what am I, I don't have anything to be nervous about. I could, like, they, they don't, they think I can do no wrong. So it's kind of, it, I wasn't being judged in the same way. But then I went to the senior enlisted academy and stood in, in front of like 400 senior chiefs, master chiefs, chiefs. Like, that, I was probably the most nervous I've ever been yeah, in like, public speaking. Oh, they don't
1: care anymore. <laughs> yeah. The, well,
0: those guys will judge me to no end and destroy me and make fun of me. So, Yeah, it was I was a lot more nervous for that. It was good though. It was a good experience. It's
1: good times. I did that yeah, so I did that for a year and then I came back in. Um Mm two thousand so this is like two thousand fourteen now. Okay. Came back in as a chaplain and um started off with the Marines. I don't know if, if you knew this or if everyone knows this, but the Navy chaplains are chaplains for the Marines and the Coast Guard as well.
0: Yeah, okay. I didn't know about the Coast Guard. I was pretty sure that they were for the Marine Corps. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting.
1: Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. started off with first uh, Marine division and first uh, recon battalion. I did that for a year and then I was with second battalion, fifth Marines, which is an infantry battalion. And I was with yeah. them for about a year and a half. Um, and both of those experiences, uh, they were awesome. Uh, well,
0: yeah. What was that dynamic like where you come in and you're wearing like submarine dolphins and they're like looking at you like, who is this dude? Like, <laughs> did, did you yeah, have any like exactly. interesting conversations about like, like how did you end up here?
1: Yeah, no, it's funny because, um, I don't know if you remember I went to dive school too. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. I had my bubble and, yep. <laughs> um, and I had my, my dolphins and from a distance, they're like, is that guy like recon, like an old school yeah, recon yeah. guy? Because they have a different, um, you know, different warfare device now for recon. Right. Um, where the bubble looks different, at least. And so they see like this old silver bubble. Yeah. and Something else <laughs> from a distance that they don't really know what it is. And they're like, yeah. Who is, is this dude? recon?" Like, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm not a recon no, guy. No, <laughs> no, I'm not that cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it opened up, especially with, the the officers there, mm-hmm. they, they had tons of questions. Um, oh, like, oh, bet, how'd yeah. you get here? And so like, kind of like what you're talking about, relatability. Yeah. Um, it was just like instant, um, relatability instant. Yeah. Like, you Google have
0: like, like actual real life, like tactical experience in a community, like doing what the military does instead of, just, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, there might be some young chaplains if they came straight in as a chaplain with no prior experience in the military that would have a hard time connecting with the yeah. guys that they're there to take care of.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're coming from church to to the military, right? There's just some things to learn. Yeah, and so you know, they're like, "Oh, this is his first tour. Who's it going to be?" They feel a little bit of comfort. They're like, "Right, yeah. right. I don't know it's what easy he did to before, connect but yeah. whatever that weird thing is on his chest, he did something." So yeah,
0: yep. <laughs> Got a rack of ribbons and some pins. It's like, okay, <laughs> this guy, this guy's done some stuff before he came here. So yeah.
1: So cool. yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I think um my time with the infantry was really cool too. Um, you know, the the Marine Corps' approach to leadership is is different. Yeah. Um and and I really appreciate that. And I love my time on the submarine. And I think if I could do it all over again, I'd still do submarines, but right, but I really fell in love with the Marine Corps as well. I, I mean, I've <laughs> said
0: that for a long time that I feel like I would have been a better fit because it's, I got to interact with a lot of the Marine Corps, uh, when I was, uh, an a school instructor, cause they had all the. it was like, it was a, an army base, but it was a, it was a joint schoolhouse. Yeah. So they had like the food service schoolhouse and a couple of other Marine Corps, uh, things there. And we had a, there was a master gunnery sergeant there that was the uh, senior listed for the food service school that went through the chief season in Iraq with uh, a corpsman put him through it when he made gunny. Yeah. And so like he would always hang out with us all the time and we would involve <laughs> him and in all the chief stuff. And, um, and he was, he was amazing. And, uh, it, I learned a lot about the Marine Corps when I was there and I interacted with the, the juniors and it was like, you had everybody on a base representing every service, Except for the Coast Guard, we had like a joint service instructor and we'd see some like advanced culinary students come through for the flag aid program. But that was it. there was only a handful of of Coasties rolling through there. But the with the Marines, it was like they were the only ones that I never had to say anything to about their uniform. They were the only ones that didn't salute me when I was in my khakis because they said, good afternoon, chief. Good afternoon, senior. Like every time they saw me. And it was just like, like, I know that like they can cut loose and be wild and they're not, you know, they're not like built in a, in the, at the basic school, a lot of spare parts of like infantry, <laughs> you know I mean? Like yeah. I know they're not robots, but whatever they do when they indoctrinate uh junior enlisted into the Marine Corps, it's just like they've, they've got it right. Like they're doing something extremely right where it's like. The pride they have in being a marine, the pride they have in their uniform, the military bearing, the professionalism—it's just like unmatched. It's not even close. Yeah, it blew, blew me away.
1: Yeah, I feel I feel bad saying that now that I'm in the Navy, but hey, it is. Right. I'm,
0: <laughs> I call it how I see it. It's like I, because I harp on it all the time, and it's something that like I've, which this will blow your mind. So, so the kind of dude I was when you knew me on Used to Boat, it was like. <laughs> The When I got to my first shore duty, the, about a year in, my chief figured me out and uh, he put me in charge of a bunch of people. And when he put me in charge of a bunch of people, I couldn't be like angry and bitter and need a haircut all the time and not take care of my. So I like so I like reverted back to what I did when I first joined, like in boot camp and a school where like I had sh- the sh- I was the shiny boots guy, perfectly pressed uniform and a haircut, like doing everything exactly right, because I wanted these kids to, to see what I was doing and emulate it i didn't want him to be able to point at what i was doing and say i was a hypocrite so um so that's kind of what started the turnaround for me it was this chief that i had just figured me out and um so i've always been that guy the rest yeah the rest of my career i've always been that guy like i was known for my shiny shoes and then boots when we got into nws and i was known for like the military bearing and uniform appearance and i'd harp on people about it and just trying to get people to, to like understand why it's important and it's not the end of the world but it's like it's a big deal to be professional and you're in take it seriously and all these things and it's like the fighting that the culture that the navy has is like it's i feel like i'm drowning in quicksand all the time but (laughs) it's obviously possible because you look at the marine corps and it's like and i'm sure like i always caveat like i'm sure there's marines out there that look like crap in their uniform but i haven't seen them so they can't be that common you know like (laughs) i've literally never seen a single one of them so
1: Yeah, you're right. As a whole, they they take way more pride um, in their professionalism. Right. Yeah, they're they're awesome group to work with. Right. That was eye opening. It was fun. Um. And yeah, I did that, and then I'm just finishing up a tour right now. Um. Sort of in between, but I I was at the Naval Academy for three years. Okay. uh, Which was also really cool because that's like a melting pot of all these different, um, people you know that are coming together. All these different JOs, all these different senior enlisted. Mm-hmm. Um, who are?
0: God, I tried so hard to get there. When I was going to the A school, yeah. I wanted to be a company chief really bad. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: No, it's a great position.
0: Yeah, they're just they didn't have. They only had a female opening when I was applying for orders. So I was just like, ah, damn it! I, that was like a dream job for me.
1: Yeah, no, it it is awesome. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, just to see like the different backgrounds that everyone brings, different perspectives, and yeah. then um, but they're all like so committed and so focused. Uh, however, they screen. The people coming in, um, it's good. There, it's a strong group, especially I would say for the senior enlisted that are there.
0: Yeah, and you weren't, uh, you weren't like training midshipmen. You were just,
1: you were doing a chaplain role there. Yeah, so I was a chaplain. Okay. Uh, there's six battalions at the of midshipmen at the Naval Academy, and mm-hmm. so I was uh, one of the battalion chaplains. And it's it's pretty cool. Set up our, uh, yeah. our offices are actually in their dorm. Um, so we're just right there on the zero deck of their dorm and, and, you know, anytime they need to talk or want to talk, um, they can come by. Ah, that's gotta be fun. Also had the best collateral duty in the Navy. At least (laughs) I was the, uh, the football team chaplain. Oh, nice. Uh, Yeah. So so of course you have to be at all the games. (laughs) Yeah. All the games. (laughs) Um, a lot of the practices in the locker room, um, Yeah. um, just getting to see kind of what goes into making a, a division one team is pretty amazing as well.
0: Oh yeah. That's and incredible. That was fun. That was <laughs> That'd good. be super cool.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, so just finishing that up, getting ready to, to PCS I already moved to my new location.
0: Yeah. I saw um, the Facebook pictures of the boxes and stuff. Where are you yeah.
1: Yeah. The boxes are gone now. So that's good. Nice. And, uh, going to be, um, a flag aid to the chief of chaplains.
0: Oh, so nice. Not
1: a very, uh, like direct chaplain-y kind of role, but you know, yeah. a lot of other people that are doing. God,
0: that. you'll be so good at that because you're probably the same age as the chief of chaplain. <laughs> <laughs> All your no. experience in the military. I mean, I can't. I can't imagine that won't come in handy.
1: Now, what is funny is that so everyone who's making 06 right now is the same age as me. They're like, yeah, American. I was gonna
0: say, yeah, because I, yeah, I, no. the the other Jr. I won't mention. I'll keep names out of it, but. Yeah. The other J.O. that I mentioned, so I, I, I'll talk about it later, but the other J.O. that helped me through submarine uh, dolphin qualifications, man, I saw him, he had completed a command tour, like, years yeah. ago, and I was like, yeah. wow, I'm that old? <laughs>
1: like, I, I was like, holy crap. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy to, like, yeah, look around and see that um, even other, like, J.O.'s who were just getting to the boat as I was leaving, they've already commanded. I'm like, what? Yeah,
0: yeah. They like <laughs> to command?
1: Are you serious? Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, there was, there was a couple of them, yeah, that I know – yeah, I know a bunch of guys that were on that boat that did command tours. Yeah. yeah, that's nuts. I actually ran into one of our. It might have been after you left, but one of our uh, old engineers is uh, a deputy at one of the squadrons that I deal with all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I met him. I met him, and he didn't recognize me. I'm like, yeah. And we were done having our conversation because it was about a a ship failed an inspection. and It was really bad, and we yeah. Had, we had to have like a meeting about corrective actions and all stuff. And when we were done. I just, he was real cool. I shook his hand. I'm like, I don't know if you remember me, but, and I, once I told him, he's like, no way. Like he, <laughs> you could see the like, holy crap. And like the recognition came up. I'm like, oh yeah, you do kind of look like that cook from the boat.
1: <laughs> it's hilarious. But yeah, man. So it's been, it's been a long and a weird path, but yeah, it's seen like so much different things, different environments, different styles of leadership. It's been, it's been cool. Um, Yeah, that's crazy. I just love being a chaplain now.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, we'll get to that. I'm going to ask you about all the leadership stuff for sure, just because you have such a crazy, unique experience that I'm sure created a unique perspective. But um, how, so I, I, like I mentioned before, one of the reasons that this episode popped into my head was I had a kid, a kid reach out to me about chaplain corps stuff. And so I'm curious, like, like I, I know you have to go to seminary before you come in and you kind of covered a little bit of the beginning phases of it, but like how once you're once you're in and you're commissioned as a chaplain, like what's the standard kind of career path and like what does a chaplain actually do? Cause like I all I know, like I mentioned before when we were talking, is like I can go talk to you if I'm having trouble and you guys randomly show up on the boat and ask me how I'm doing. And that's about the extent of my knowledge. So like, I'm kind of curious, like how you guys, like, uh, once you're in, like what, what's the, the standard kind of, if there is one, a standardish career path. And then what do you guys actually do?
1: Yeah. So, you know, about the same that I knew when I was on, <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the boat. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there, I wouldn't say there's a standard thing. So I mentioned okay. before that, you know, we have, um, you know, we were chaplains for the Marine Corps and the Navy. Uh, so basically, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still a Lieutenant. <laughs> we were joking around about that. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was say, a lieutenant. In a Lieutenant. Three? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 2003. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I've been a you're really, Lieutenant.
0: You were a Lieutenant when I was a third class.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as a Lieutenant, you want to deploy and, um, you want to be with the Marines for at least one tour and you want to be with, with the Navy for at least a tour. That's, that's all. It was like, And then you'll have a third tour in there. It can be whatever you want. So there is no real strict thing. They just try to get people to go to, you know, a variety of platforms and and hit a deployment at least.
0: Okay. And how, like, how long are those tours? Do they split them where you do like a couple years with the Marines and then a couple years with the Navy?
1: Yeah. So it could be, um, it's, it's kind of strange to me the way we do this. Um, but if it's an operational tour, it's, it's usually like two or two and a half years. Okay. And if it's like a chapel duty or um, not operational in any way, it's usually three years. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I think that's probably backwards of what most,
0: yeah. <laughs> most things <laughs> well, would be. Uh, Yeah, a little, but I mean, you guys have kind of a unique job. So.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it is unique. And, um, you know, everybody, actually, most chapels that I know want to deploy. They want to go out and, for sure. and do that. And yeah. there's just not a lot of opportunities for it. Um, so I think that's why it's shorter that way is to try to give more people a chance to, to go out and do yeah, stuff. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, that's what you do as a O3, same thing as a O4, try to deploy, try to be with the Marines once and the Navy once. Mm-hmm. And then after that, move into different supervisory roles. And, uh, it's just a pretty small community. Yeah. Um, so there's not, there's not a lot of like standard pathways after that. Right.
0: Right. What? Well, so what's a... Like, if you're in a deployable unit, like, what's a day in the life?
1: Yeah. So, a day in the life for me, and most chaplains that I know kind of take the same approach, Mm -hmm. um, is just get out. Wherever the people are, like if it's with the Marines and they're shooting on a range, you go to the range and uh, we can't shoot. We're not combatants, but you watch right? and you spend time with them. Or if they're doing a hike, uh, you hike with them. They're they're spending a few nights in the field. You do that. So I would always go out and try to find like the harshest sort of option available and do that (laughs) one Uh, just to let them know that I'm there for them Um, and that I don't like see myself as, you know, exempt or better than them in any way. Right. And um, those are like those random showing ups that you probably have experienced at different mm-hmm. times. And, yep. and when I'm doing that, I'm just letting people like see me and, yeah. and hear me talk a little bit. I'll, I'll just hang out with people and that's it. Just small talk and, and move on and kind of just let them know who I am so that if something pops up and they need to talk to a chaplain, they don't feel like it's a stranger. They don't feel like it's right. someone they have no idea who that person is or, or, or anything about them. Um, they know a little bit about me and they might feel a little more comfortable.
0: Right. um, And it's like an approachability thing. Like I think one of the most valuable things I learned as a chief was to, I kept getting told I wasn't approachable, which I know is shocking to the world at large, (laughs) but uh, I, I'm a passionate dude. And sometimes that comes across as aggressive or like I'm yelling air quotes, even though I'm not, you know? Yeah. And so I had to kind of go out of my way. Like I would just walk around the submarine and go sit down and kind of like go to the torpedo room and just like coke and joke with the guys down there. Yeah, and, like,
1: exactly. Same thing. When
0: I'm, Yeah. When I'm the duty chief, you know, like just go joke around with the watch watchstanders and hang out for a little while so that they know it's like if you got a problem, some kind of an issue, something comes up, it's like, come, come find me. I will fix it. I will take care of you. It's not like, like, yes, I am that passionate dude that can, can get a little hyped up about some stuff, but if you come to me with a problem, I'm going to help you. Like, it's never, it's about you and it's about me helping you. And I want you to know that I'm that resource. And so like, I feel like that's a super valuable leadership principle is just like, just spending that time, like just walk around the ship when you have time, which I know like on a lot of operational units for guys like me, it's like, there's not a lot of that bandwidth out there. <laughs> yeah. but like when I had a Saturday duty day or when we were at sea and you know, I'm off going on a Sunday and it's just like, yeah, I go walk around and, Talk to guys and joke yeah. around and stuff. Or I'm doing my zone inspection. I'll just hang out in the space
1: for a little while. Yeah. So, it's, so think about this: that if that was your job, that's my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to just do that, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's freeing. Um, that sounds it's not awesome. Stressful at yeah. all? Because you probably feel this tension of like, oh, I want to talk, but I got this other thing I really need. Yeah, to Yeah.
0: Sometimes. Well, I, where I'm, I have especially with my guys. Like on my last boat, I was essentially the ACOB, so I had like 900 collateral duties. I was standing <laughs> eight hours of dive every day. I was at all the meetings, the ops brief, all that crap because I was a department chief. It was like I had a 10% of my day was dedicated to my division if I was lucky. Like there were yeah. days where I just came and made sure the galley wasn't on fire and just checked <laughs> in. and was like, do you need anything? Okay, I'm going to the rack. Because yeah. it was just because like we were doing a BSP the next day and I was a top side line handler supervisor. Like it was nuts. Yeah, And I kept telling my cop, I'm like bro, can I get like two weeks off the watch bill just to like catch up on paperwork audits and like do my actual primary duty that I'm being paid for? Can I like, I just need a minute, like even, or put a kick out on the watch bill for once in our lives, like something. Cause I had, I I always felt that pressure to like, my division was first. I felt like a bad chief cause I was just like so overwhelmed with all this other crap. And it was just like, I was like, I made the mistake of being productive and and being reliable. And so it was like, I had to go do all these other things and they, of course, everything else is more important than the galley. As long as there's hot food on the steam line.
1: So yeah, until there's a problem, everything's good, right?
0: Yep. Yep. Everything's (laughs) fine. No one cares about any of my admin or inventories or any of that crap. All they care about is that there's hamsters on the serving line. So (laughs) I got, I was, I was extremely, extremely lucky with the second class that I had. Uh, he just actually just made first, which I was really, really happy about, but yeah, he was, oh God, he put it on his back, man. Like I, I could not have succeeded without that kid. So
1: I'll oh, talk cool. about, him.
0: I tell you, I talk about him a lot. I got extremely, extremely lucky.
1: Yeah, man. That, that's cool. And that's what I do. So uh, that'll that's be awesome. a, a normal day. Um, kind of spend maybe, you know, like half the day doing that. We do have own uh-huh. little bit of paperwork. So I'll right. you know, do a little bit of that. Um, and the other half of the day and then just meet with people who have, you know, set up an appointment or whatever. Yeah. I was going
0: to, I was going to ask about that too. Like what, if any, like, I mean, I got to imagine there's some, but like the, what kind of training do you guys go through for the counseling part of it? Cause that's kind of like operational chief on the boat. Like uh, that's what the chaplain is to me. Like I'm like, we got, we got mental health, we've got fleet family support counselors and we've got the chaplain and those are my resources. Um, and so if I'm using you guys as a tool, it's like, that's kind of the one where I, Hey, schedule an appointment with chaps. Like I, I've done it. I got d- cheated on and got a divorce, like probably, I mean, it's been over a decade now, but I was a hot mess. And so I went yeah. and talked to the chaplain and then I scheduled some other counselings just to like have an impartial person talk to me. But, um, and it, it, it helped. So I was, I'm just curious, like what kind of training you guys get and kind of how does that without getting into anybody's any details, obviously, like how does that work?
1: Yeah. So some of the training is, is standardized. Um, mm-hmm. so that chaplain school training or yeah, chaplain school pipeline or whatever that I was talking about, that's mm-hmm. eight weeks long. Um, they, they take a portion of that to, to talk about some of the unique things I would say to, to the military. Mm-hmm. Um, they focus a lot on, uh, kind of like suicide intervention, yeah. um, that sort of counseling. Um, but beyond that, most of it is just whatever you do in seminary okay. and, and that could vary a lot. Like some people, when they go through seminary, they will have an emphasis on counseling.
0: I was, yeah, I was going to ask, is there, is there an emphasis on it in the curriculum?
1: Yeah. It, so it totally depends on, okay. on whatever you've chosen. Uh, for me, I, mine was more in pastoral care. So a lot of that would overlap, yeah. but really like straight up counseling classes. I only had one. Oh, wow. um, so. Um that's probably the lowest <laughs> that you would get. That's least crazy to
0: me. Cause I feel like yeah. that, I feel like that's probably the majority of what you do, even if it is in those interactions you have while you're putting yourself in the, like you're finding the situation that you like, Hey, I should be here on the range day or whatever. Like yeah, when you're having those conversations, it's like, you're trying to at least open a door to yep. them coming to talk to you. And so it's like, I feel like that's most of what you do.
1: Yeah, no, Ugh. you're right on. And so yeah. Um, we'll we will do some stuff as a chaplain corps where mm-hmm. like every year we have annual training that will focus on different. Oh, okay, cool, different things. So like over time, you absorb a lot yeah. of of things and you always kind of have help, especially when you're st- starting out like, yeah, there were some conversations that I, I knew I was getting into at the very beginning, and I was like, man I don't I don't know how to deal with this. this is right way- that's I feel <laughs> like
0: I would be like, Pretending to be a counselor, like like I'm trying to fake it till I make it, which is a dangerous thing in that type <laughs> yeah, of yeah. It's uh, like an, somebody's <laughs>
1: life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I
1: don't really know what to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'd panic.
1: So I, yeah, I definitely had some of those moments of like, oh hmm. man, this this is not going to go well. Right. Um, So I had people I could reach out to and sort of okay. like um, help me out beforehand and say, hey, I, yeah, think about these things. But you'd be surprised, like. I do a lot, a lot of counseling and um, it doesn't take that long to, to get comfortable with it and to really understand how to help people out. Yeah. And that's something
0: I don't know. I've always wanted to look more into it or take a class or something because I've always had this fear of like, we talk a lot about like mental health awareness, like in the last probably three, four or five years. And it's, as a chief, they're like, you know, always oh, check on your people, talk to them, ask them questions. It's like I okay, I have so many things going on. <laughs> like I have so many things like <laughs> overwhelming me just to get this operational submarine to see yeah. that what, like when am I going to be their counselor too? Right. Yeah, so yeah. I generally would try to outsource that to people like you and fleet and family support and everything else. But yeah. there's times where it's like, like I'm on, de- on deployment. I don't have any of those things. So now I'm their I'm their counselor. I'm a parent. I'm effectively a parent. So yeah. it's like, what do I do here? And it kind of also like, how do I, I want them to have a conversation with me, but then I have this fear of like when a sailor engages me and says, I'm struggling mentally and I've thought about hurting myself. Yeah. Okay, what do I say there? Like, because I feel like there's a chance and I feel like there are probably junior chiefs out there or even first classes or whoever struggling with these interactions and maybe saying the wrong thing because they panic or they feel really uncomfortable or they just don't know what to say. So they're just like, just get back to work or something. They So they come off as like <laughs> yeah. super insensitive. And yeah. it's just like, I feel like almost like we all should have training on it to some degree, but then like agencies like you and everyone, like, that it should be more involved and formalized kind of thing. Cause I just like, it scares me. Those interactions scare me. Like yeah. even now today, like I feel like I have the experience and knowledge to, to navigate some of them. But like at, at some point I'm just going to be like as empathetic as I can and be like, look, man, we need to go talk to chaps or we need to go talk to fleet and family or mental health, like the embedded yeah. mental health guys. Cause no, I just, I
1: Yeah. I mean, it's always comfort, like comforting to know that there's other people you can go to, but yeah, like you said, if you're at sea, there's no, there is no, I have
0: zero resources. It's
1: you. And, um, Mm. yeah, I always tell people that like the biggest thing you can do is, is listen. And usually when we're listening, we're not really listening, right? We're, we're thinking about the next thing we're going to say. We're thinking about our response. Yep. (laughs) Um, but if you just like slow down and listen to somebody, and they know that you're actually, like they know if you're really doing that or not. Yeah, they can and they, tell. And they hear that you're listening. It, it helps more than you realize. Okay. And um, just help people like kind of unpack what they're thinking and feeling. And it, it's an uncomfortable conversation talking about suicide, talking about thoughts of killing themselves. Right. But just sort of like letting them talk freely about it and uh, and just listening. And when you hear something that is kind of a reason to live, you know, mention it at the end and say, you, you mentioned that, you know, you were thinking about your kids in this, like how are, Yeah. like tell me more about them, you know, yeah. and just try to get them like refocused on, on their reasons for living. If they're talking to you about it, uh, their mind isn't made up that they want to do it. They're struggling right. with it. And so right. they want, they want to hear, they want some help. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, listening and, and just helping them out with the small stuff. Like, yeah. When someone's really struggling with suicide, it's like everything in their life is against them and mm-hmm. no matter they can't get ahead. It's like, they try to do well in this area and boom, they get crushed. They try to do something else and boom, their car battery dies. It's like everything doesn't work. Yeah. Can't win. Yeah. And so when you do one little thing to help them out, it's just like one little win. And yeah. And um, they're like, oh, this person cares about me.
0: Yeah. And I... I find that, uh, I was, I've had this really, really long interaction with a, uh, a first class who was dealing with a junior sailor that just like couldn't get right, wasn't performing. And a lot of it, he was very emotionally high and low and stuff like yeah. that. And I kept talking, I'm like, you got to create value. Like the, you got to yeah. make this kid feel valued and that he's a contributor to the organization because a lot of the things she told me was basically that he, um, The all the second classes would like gang up on him because he would he couldn't get right, so he was dragging him down. So they were basically forming like this tribal accountability function, you know, they were like, they were like, you you know, you're, you're dead weight, like you're dragging us down. So we're going to ostracize you and make fun of you and do all these things as a sense of like accountability, which doesn't make any sense, but that's what they're thinking. Right. And so, and and then all these other supervisors, like he was getting counsel all the time when he was on duty and all these other things, he'd be like late to watch and all these other things. And I'm like, okay, why is it happening? Figure out what's going on? Why is it happening? But I'm like, you have to create a sense of value like that this kid feels like he's a valuable contributing member of the team. Otherwise he's never good. Like they're all treating him like crap all the time. Why would he help them? <laughs> like, why would he do a good job on the maintenance that he's helping them with? Why would he write the tags correctly? Why would he do any of those things when all they do is treat him like crap? Like I wouldn't help him either. Yeah, so like, you got, you got to fix that. You got to get them all to rally around this kid and get behind him and push. But then you also need to find out like, why all that stuff's going on and everything else. But yeah, it's, yeah, I, man, I that stuff always, it, it always makes me nervous because I'm always worried I'm going to say the wrong thing, and I, it's weird because then historically I feel like I've done pretty all right, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's just one of those, especially when you get into the mental health struggles and somebody that's contemplating hurting themselves, it's just like I, I feel out of my depth, like uh, almost like I need to have some kind of formal training to be able to feel prepared. Maybe I'm well, just yeah, kind of rushed. I
1: mean. No, even me, like as a chaplain, like I'm pretty upfront with the people I'm talking to. I'm like, Hey, I'm not a mental health provider. I'm just another dude talking to you and I'm yeah. just going to help you out. And I keep it pretty conversational. Right. And, um, they, you know, a lot of people like that because they're, they're, there's a stigma, right. Of getting help, like what it's going to do to your career. Right. And, um, so I just try to just be a normal person and talk to them.
0: Well, and and you guys have, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm. This is coming from Cobb Qual meeting I had yeah. a, probably a year ago. But uh, you guys have a um, what is, what is it called? Where you Confidentiality. guys? Can't, yeah, yeah. The, yeah the the confident, and it's like it's pretty much bulletproof if I'm not mistaken,
1: right? Yeah, not pretty much. It is. Uh, there's yeah. nothing. There is nothing that anyone can share that that we can you know take take to the command or or take to yeah. medical or anything. So they could be you know actively um, you know, wanting to kill themselves. And if they don't want that information shared, we've got to come up with another creative way of not sharing the information and still taking care of them. Um, but we can't, we can't share that information. And it's really cool because, you know, a lot of people, if something's going wrong in their life, it's usually not the only thing. There could be other stuff that's mixed in with it, underage drinking, drugs, um, breaking some sort of rule, whatever it is. And so they don't want to get help because then they're afraid like, oh, I'll get in trouble. other yeah. stuff is going to come out. I'm going to get yeah, blasted. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they can talk to a chaplain and yeah, um, none of that other stuff matters. It's well, like, hey, let's just focus on the thing.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point because I, I talked, my friend Amber is that she was a GM2 uh, that worked for me at the A school. as a She was a, like a general billet instructor in NMTI. So she separated and went to school to be a social worker. And one of the things it's like a passion project for her is she spends times with veterans trying to uh, upgrade their discharge for when. So like, say, a sailor is having substance abuse issues, gets popped on a test and gets separated with a like a bad conduct discharge. When you sit down and talk to them, you find out the reason why they had a substance abuse problem was they were sexually assaulted on the ship. Yeah. Or whatever, like whatever that historical context is. And so she basically gets w- them uh, documentation, statements, letters, all the stuff together and submits a package with them to like upgrade their discharge and stuff. And I feel like it, she's dealing with the result of more sailors not having that conversation with a person that like yeah. when you talk to a chaplain, there is zero fear that any of that is going to make it back to anybody ever. Like that's, exactly. and it's bulletproof right. and legal. Like you can't yeah. make you talk about any of the, like the CEO can't show up at Chaps' office and say, tell me about what they talked to you about. You just be like, no. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, that's,
1: that w- that <laughs> was my line. Actually. I would always tell people like, I'm not on a secret spy mission for the battalion commander. Um, but I do put everything on confidential chaps on my Twitter feeds. So no, <laughs> 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 uh, that's but yeah, a lot of people come in and they're like, so if, I've got this friend. And if they were to come in here yeah, and say yeah, yeah. this, would you, you can, have to do anything? I'm like, no, oh man. It's just <laughs> you can just your tell your me. friend and me.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yep.
0: I always, I, I thought that, well, I didn't know that. And I'm, I was a senior chief at 18 years in the Navy sitting down for my cob call interview. And yeah. that's when I learned that. So that's something that, uh, is, I feel like is woefully misunderstood. Like I, I had no, I thought that if, Like if I walked in, sat down and told you I was contemplating suicide, that you would have to tell people like and which, you know, that that's a tough situation for you to be in because you feel like you should tell somebody. But yeah, like if somebody said, I don't want you to tell anybody, but um, even that, which is an extreme example, but it's like that's how bulletproof that confidentiality is. So it's something something that I feel like is an important point that people should know um, is that when they sit down and talk to you guys, it's like nothing. It leaves that room.
1: Yeah. No, it's a huge benefit for, for anyone that's looking for help here. Like I always tell people this too. Like they always think, uh, do I have to be religious if I've talked to you? I'm like, no, you don't have to be a, like, I'll just ask you straight up. If that's a part yeah. of your life, if it is, I'll bring it into the conversation. If not, right. then, then I won't. And so yeah. what we often become and what, at least in my experience is sort of like the first stop, like they know they need to get help. They don't want to broadcast what they need help for. And they want to keep it as small as possible, but they don't know where to go. Right. And they don't want to go to their chief. They don't want to go to their div. They don't want to talk to anybody officially, but they, they want to go somewhere. So they come and talk to me and, and then I can figure out, okay, this is who you do need to talk to. If you do, this is the information that they're going to share with, with your chain of command. Do you still want to do it? If you do, let me help you. Yeah. Um, and so I find that a lot of times, especially with these heavier issues, um, there's a lot of like handoffs of getting them to the right person in a way that doesn't like tell the whole command what's going on.
0: Yeah. And it's, I was going to say, it's almost like a soft opening too, where it's like, they can get their foot in the door and feel it out and decide whether or not they want to go. Cause it's like, kind of like, once you go to mental health, you're at mental health. Like if they diagnose you with something and decide you needed to be removed from the ship or removed from, duty and whatever like it that it, you're it's a point of no return already but yeah it, yeah it, it's like a soft opening to like i can i can have the conversation at least and feel it out and decide where i want to because that's a I cons i get a, so much like feedback and then i like I, I i monitor a lot of like groups and chats and stuff about yeah. mental health stuff and it's just like a lot of it is just like, well, they're going to take my clearance and I'll never be able to do my job again. And I won't be able to be operational. And like all of a it'll affect me and my ability to promote. And it's like, if you're considering hurting yourself, none of those things should be concerns, but yeah. that I, who am I to tell you how to think? So it's kind of like, well, okay, if those are concerns of yours, here's a soft opening to, to having, to kind of just starting the conversation without there being any of those fears of repercussion yeah absolutely Um,
1: yeah yeah, nothing to lose and uh, yeah yeah that's awesome awesome. it's an awesome resource so that's a yeah that's a big part of the job Uh, that's probably what we do time-wise the most that's what people associate I think with chaplains the most is is that type of counseling
0: yeah is there Uh, any other like weird stuff that you guys do that like you would never guess a chaplain
1: does Uh, It's not really weird stuff, but you know, um, we do other things obviously. So I'm Christian. So if there's a Christian service, I'll eat it. Um, if there are people on the ship who are not Christian and, um, they're looking for something else, then I'll do what I can to facilitate like a time and a space for them to do those things. Um, so we're providing for our own and facilitating for others we talk about. And then like the last sort of like piece of that is just advising the command um on what is going on. So I you know, I don't share specifics right with commanding can, officers, but if like everybody is complaining about something um, yeah. or a person or something's going on that just doesn't feel right, um I have a I have like access to the CO, the XO, the Cobb, whatever. Yeah. Anyone that needs to know, um I can give them sort of enough uh to to try to make a difference positive yeah like point them in the
0: direction of a problem in general kind of thing
1: um so we give them that kind of advice and if there's like a religious accommodation kind of request or something like that we'll give them advice and then depending on the co a lot of times they may you know they may not see the value of religion or chaplains personally and so those co's are usually like cordial and nice and respectful and let us do our thing and they do their Mm -hmm. thing Um, but others um you know, there's ask us our opinions on different, different decisions that they're making. Um, a lot of the soft decisions about like, should I let this dude go on leave or not? Or like what's going on? And yeah, um, they'll ask us what our opinion is wow. on those things. Interesting. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's kind of like the stuff that we do. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. There no no two days have been alike. Um, I was
0: gonna say that's kind of what it sounds like.
1: <laughs> yeah, no two days are like. And there's no. I tell people this as a as a submarine officer. I was like, shore duty was cake. Um, yeah. Sea duty was impossible almost. Like, yeah. You know that, those were the <laughs> yeah. extremes. Being a chaplain is like right down the middle. Like yeah. when we're on, on shore, there's people always have problems whether or not you're deployed or you're not. Right. And um, there's always something going on in people's lives. So you kind of just sort of like maintain the steady flow. It doesn't matter if you're operational, non-operational um, is it's never as, as stressful as it was as a, as a jail on a submarine for real. Yeah. Standing <laughs>
0: off to the deck in place that cannot be named. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it, it was,
1: it's never that kind of stress. It's a different right. sort of stress and it's more constant. So
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Like steady. Yeah. yeah it's, makes... it's
1: pretty steady. It's pretty predictable. Um, but pretty awesome too, just to be in a position to, you know, not have to worry so much about some of that other stuff and just focus on the people. Gotcha.
0: So I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. Cause yeah. I, I, I am interested to, especially now that you've had so much time from like away from the submarine community and like the, where you were a line officer, you were in charge of people and you were a divo and all those things that you did. And then you did the shore tour. It's like, the interactions that you, and I'm sure you had, have had interactions since with chiefs and NCOs in the Marine Corps and all that other stuff, but yeah, kind of some comparisons to like what it's then and now kind of, and like just so, some of your lessons that you've kind of taken as you've, as you've moved on from the submarine community and, and kind of the differences between then and now, as far as like, I, I talk a lot and I, I guess I better loop back around here and explain is like, I talk a lot about what, um, at least I perceive to be and I a lot of people seem to agree with me and there's been a ton of like visibility on it lately as far as uh, there being like a divide between junior enlisted and everyone else like and it really it's the chief's mess and everyone else sorry I, I phrased that wrong so like I initially thought it was a divide between junior enlisted and the chief's mess as far as just like a lack of trust and faith in our ability to take care of them and lead them and that we were in fact like pursuing their best interests all the time and then what I discovered when I started talking about it was it was like it was the Chiefs mess and everyone like I had a bunch of officers reach out to and just be like, no, it's not just <laughs> them. Like we have issues, too, where the war germs trying to interact with the cheese mess and um, there a lot of trust issues, a lot of like they seem to be out to take care of themselves and all these other things. And so yeah, I, I've yeah. talked about it a ton and I'm curious to know, like what your interactions were like back then and how you viewed the chiefs mess back then, and maybe how you do now and how that's changed and evolved, not just because the chiefs mess and the Navy has has changed and evolved, but all of these experiences and and you obviously maturing as a, as a leader have affected
1: that. So it's, it's actually a lot easier for me to think back to what it was like then. Um, and what it was like then was awesome. Uh, like I remember showing up and it was those, those chiefs, like I want to share all their names, but yeah, th- they, they kept me out of trouble. They taught me, <laughs> they, I mean, they were just as instrumental in, in teaching me about how to be a divo as, as any of the department heads. Did you um,
0: see it that way while it was happening? Do you think, or is it more of like a retro, like in retrospect, you see that that's what they were doing?
1: I, I saw it as it was happening.
0: Okay.
1: Um, yeah. I appreciated it then. Um, and yeah, there was just no question in my mind okay. that especially like with all the nuclear stuff, like yeah, I only could sure. scratch the surface of what, what was going on. And not only did they know that, but they knew the people, they knew the culture of being, I was just brand new. And I think it would be pretty arrogant to show up and think that, right. um, that I would know anything compared to them. Um, so it was really easy for me. Uh, to trust them and to, to learn from them. I think like as I look at other JOs and myself reflect back on my time, you you learn pretty quickly. So I felt like when I showed up, I was clueless. And when I left, I knew a lot about at least that particular sub. And I knew a lot about the people. I knew a lot about how things worked. And my like impression of the Chiefs mess didn't really go down over that time. Hmm, uh, there were okay. a few... Um, yeah, there always is (laughs) (laughs) even in one of them. (laughs) Yeah. I was,
0: so I went to a special project submarine, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And, um, it was like the super chiefs mess. Like it was all second tour LCPOs and senior chiefs. And then there was a handful of us that made chief while we were there and I was one of them. And so it was like, it was like chiefs Academy. I mean, I had a, a Cobb that was a third tour Cobb and had been a CMC. And then we just had all this experience. And, um, yeah, I mean, even there, there was a couple of knuckleheads, you know what I mean? So like, but it was like, there weren't many and they got, they got put in check really, really quickly. But, um, but yeah, there's always a couple of knuckleheads.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So there's always some of those, but for the most part, um, man, I love those guys and, and couldn't have done my job without them. Um, Nasty Pack didn't really have a chief. Um, when I went to, when I went on that IA, there was a group of us that went, we had a few chiefs that went with us mm-hmm. and, um, it has a, like a completely different dynamic though. There were no junior right. enlisted with us. Okay. Um, so it was just them and us. And I mean, they were, they were awesome at what they did and loved having them around and they could just like make stuff happen.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, even We're there, like the dudes in, the in prison that can just get stuff and you don't know why or how and you don't want to know. And yeah, I was that's like, just,
1: this is what we need. I know you got to do some stuff to do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't do want to know. Just get it here by this time. Okay. Roger that. Especially um, with so me that. being a supply guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm sure I've, I've compromised my integrity if you no, I'm But,
1: But that's what it was like then. And um, so I have like really high um, memories, like really good memories of of almost all the interactions I had with, with chiefs back then. Um, now it's different. Um, not so much. It's like hard for me to comment on if chiefs are different, but I'm a, I'm a chaplain and I know they, they act differently around me than they right. do around everyone else. Cause I hear about how they treat like some of their people.
0: Right. And that's um, the, that's what's been terrifying for me is like, I get a ton of stories relayed to me via Reddit or email or Facebook messenger or whatever. And if 10% of them are true, yeah, <laughs> like it's terrifying to me that this is the state of the chief's mess. And so that's the kind, of, and I'm sure you hear a lot of those types of stories.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I hear it, I hear it a lot. And sometimes it's like so shocking to me that I'm like, ah, oh, this can't even be the same person. So I don't know right. how like true it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you, I'm like, yeah, even if just a majority or like a minority of these stories are true, then, and, and I'm assuming there are, you know, when there's yeah. enough smoke, there's a fire there. Right. And, and I'm like, ah, that's a disappointment. Um, yeah. It- yeah. To, to see that. I- so I-, I see that, and but it's hard for me to know, like, like if I would have talked to like some of the junior guys on the, the sub back then, if they would have been saying the exact same stuff that I'm hearing now, you know, it, yeah, it's and hard that's, for me to really be able to so, tell the difference.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of the one of the things I try to explain quite a bit is the perspective difference from being a junior enlisted sailor and being a senior enlisted sailor and, and the, the change that happens where you, know, you always hear the jokes like about guys when they were a cool first class and they make chief and bro, you've changed. You didn't used to be like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like, of course I changed like, and here's why. And I, so I spend a lot of time, like, I, I don't like the fact and, and I've had discussions with other chiefs about it and, and I kind of push them on almost none of what we do. Almost there, there are some things that need to be kept behind a closed door or under the veil of whatever but a lot of those things have to do with like um, you require an almost intimate setting to have a certain type of challenging conversation or uh, like, especially during the like final night chief season event stuff like there, people get vulnerable and emotional during some of the events yeah. and that doesn't need to be viewed like it's a television series. Yeah.
1: So yeah. St-
0: some of the, but it's a really small amount of stuff and there's a lot of stuff that I think could be explained and should be explained. And I spend a lot of time explaining it on the podcast um, because I think that when left to their own imagination, junior sailors make a lot of leaps and assumptions about what's going on in the chief's mess and why things happen the way that they do instead of a, a like a, a large portion of what is viewed as us looking out for our own interests or hating junior sailors or just being all around the evil empire is just misunderstood and I yeah. try to explain a lot of that and have those conversations. And I find that when I do a lot of time, like I've done it during interviews with like first classes uh, that come on the podcast and talk to me about it. And a lot of them are the guys thrashing certain things on Reddit that I, I'm like, hey, come have a conversation with me and let's talk about it. And I'll explain yeah. a lot of this stuff to you. And I, I've also done a bunch where I've had a bunch of other chiefs on and we've talked about things that happen. Like we're in the chiefs mess and, Kind of to to pull the veil back a little bit and like, look, this is what's really going on in there, and this is why and how. And there's a lot of times that we're put in a position, an impossible position, that we have to do something that makes our skin crawl. But when the CEO says go in that direction, we're going in that direction, even though we told him it's a bad idea. Like yeah. we have to own it, and go out there it, yeah. <laughs> and make it happen. And so yeah. it's like it's I, <laughs> and, but we're the ones that bear bear the brunt of the criticism and uh vitriol when something like that happens and it's just oh, yeah. it is nobody it is. likes
1: being told what like even though we're in the military we don't really like being told what to do right and if you're the face of that
0: yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's team. our pack to carry and i i 100 get that um and i it, there's always so there's always going to be a certain amount of that where it's just like look look this is just that's why anchors are heavy man like live with it, it this is what we do So, but I think there's a lot of it that can be explained and should be explained. I spent a lot of time doing that on purpose, but there's a lot of stuff that happens that I'm just like, and that's the the whole purpose of this podcast is to address the issues of leadership development and education because there is no formal curriculum. There is nothing, there's no effort or resources put into it really. So all these junior enlisted sailors go through their career up to the point of making chief with a zero formal leadership education and training. And then you're, you're wondering why they're struggling to like adapt to the role of being a chief on, on said unit, you know,
1: that's that's exactly what I was thinking too, because um, mm -hmm. 43 year old Lieutenant (laughs) (laughs) looking back and and seeing like these people, these young chiefs who are just, you know, they go through chief season, whatever. And I'm like, For some of them, like you said, they have not led at all. They haven't had um, a good chief over them in the past. They just haven't been in a situation, maybe based on their rate or their the unit they've been attached to, where they've had an opportunity to lead in a way where they could get feedback and mentorship. Right, and that's.
0: That's the mechanism. Like that's our, that's our leadership a, educational model is yeah. hope, hope for the best. Like, I hope you get a good mentor and I hope that you get the opportunity to be an LPO. And I hope that you're put in a position operationally to lead sailors. Yeah. Hopefully, maybe. And then, and then it's a quota driven system. So you got guys making chiefs because they can fog a mirror, you know, like I, it, there's, you'll see like career, like when the quotas come out, you'll see uh, ratings where it's just like hundred percent it's like, that shouldn't even be possible. <laughs> like <that's, laughs> yeah. that shouldn't even be real, but it's yeah. a quote driven system. They need to plug a, somebody wearing anchors into spot X and there's a hundred of those and there's a hundred eligible. We're making all of them or yep, there's 80 exactly. eligible and yeah. we're making all of them. And it's like, that should not be possible.
1: And, and I mean, just being honest, right? Like to be a good sailor, you could be like the best sailor in the world. That doesn't right. mean you're going to
0: be a good chief. hundred percent. And yeah, I, I, <laughs> And I I've made a case for, for, that, for
1: the people yeah, that are in that situation. Yeah.
0: Well, but also, so there's that, but I've also made a case for, there are guys that don't want it. There's, a, I had a nuke mechanic called him Biff. Great dude. Like yeah. he was, he looked exactly like you think he does. <laughs> so he, that guy just wanted to turn a wrench and he was really, really good at it. And yeah. he, he was good at, he would train and mentor the junior guys on how to be a really good technician how to be a really good mechanic. But he didn't want to be the engineering watch supervisor. He didn't want to be a chief. He didn't want to do all that crap. All he wanted to do was fix stuff. And he was incredible at it. And I'm just like, why can't that guy just stay a first class and be an incredible senior mechanic and mentor these junior guys on how to be a really good mechanic? And like we were not like looking down on him because he, that's how it was. They didn't want him to be the LPO. They didn't want him to do all this other stuff because yeah. oh, there's he didn't really, something wrong
1: with you because you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you're
0: broken because you don't yeah. want to be a chief. And it's just like, no, he's not. No, he's not. And like, it's perfectly acceptable to me. And I don't even understand why there's not like you You get to a certain level uh, like, OK, this is where I want to be. I really, really love doing this. And then like, like almost like, uh, like an electrician's an electrician, right? So like in the civilian world. So an electrician's going to do electrician things until they retire, but they're going to get paid more money as they become more senior and become more advanced. And now they're a master electrician and all such yeah, stuff. But yeah. they're still, they're still going in there and doing things with their hands and doing electrician things. So like, why can't a nuke mechanic like even get paid more money besides just like the yearly pay raises? Cause like now he's a master mechanic, but he doesn't want to yeah. be in a leadership position. Yeah. Like, I feel like they should be like, almost like your path should diverge a little earlier than me leaving my career field to be like a, a cob or a CMC. It's like, I feel like it could diverge a little earlier because I've had conversations even where they're like, well, who do you think the subject matter expert is on a thing? And I'm like, well, it's hard to explain because as a young chief, I probably knew more about my rating than I ever did in my entire <laughs> life. Like than anybody right. I was, I, I knew everything. I was in the books all the time and that's all I did. Um, but on my last boat, like I went to an A school, so a li- I, there was a little bit of erosion because I wasn't doing the advanced stuff. We were just teaching junior stuff, you know, like the initial session training. When I went back to my next boat, I got really deep into it because I had an SMI. I had an inspection, did really well in that, and then I immediately pivoted to Cobb stuff. Yeah, and I was removed from it for like three years almost, and then I went to uh, the job I'm in now, where I'm I'm the SMI inspector, and. It's like I gotta open the book all the time and make sure that I'm grading something correctly because i was I was completely removed from it. Like, I can tell you how to go to dive one s q on a BN, but like, I can't, I'm going to have a hard time explaining like certain things. Cause I'm like, wait a minute. Cause there's stuff changes, obviously yeah, like pub, pubs yeah. get updated. And so like there's been you're times doing where it
1: like, every day you're not going to stay yeah. sharp, Yeah.
0: And, and there's, there's been times even during an inspection where a guy challenges me on some stuff and I'm like, show me in the book and they show me and I'm like, Oh, Hey, look at that. <laughs> and I, <laughs> okay. And I, I'm, I'm humble about it. Cause I know I'm just like, if you can show me in the book, I'll, I'll grade it accordingly. And they, they'll look it up and show and I'm like, Oh, okay. Look at that. Um, cause things change and I'm not, I'm just not as up on it. So, I mean, if you find a, a really hot, like hot first class or a young chief, I mean, a lot of them are probably going to know more about a lot of the details than I do. And so like, where does the subject matter expert thing diverge? Because like, if you asked a supply admiral, find me the subject matter expert on CS things, it's me or it's <laughs> the TICOM CS, right? Yeah. Cause we're immersed in it or we should yeah. be. And the, like the TICOM guy's a master chief. I, I'm telling you right now I could find a half a dozen chiefs in five minutes that know more than he does right. and that know more than I do. And right. so it's kind of like, where does, where does and should that path diverge and should it be okay for those guys to just go do that thing um, so that you don't end up with people in leadership positions that shouldn't be because he doesn't want it. He does he just wants yeah, to turn a wrench to and i first
1: class and teach I'm everyone all else how it. to do that job. And it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it, yeah. It blows my mind. Yeah. Um, how, how did it, how did it change at all too? like, as you, i have always, I'm trying to get, uh, there's an army warrant officer I'm talking to that was a corpsman for nine years. Okay. And a couple other people that I know that I'm, I'm trying to get other services on the podcast to talk about how the, like make the comparison, like, so like NCOs in the Marine Corps, what's different. And like, what do you, what's, what are some like leadership lessons you pulled from interacting with those guys?
1: Yeah. I think that, You know, E6 is a, is an NCO in the Marine Corps and they're really intentional. Like, I mean, I, at every level they are, they're telling them, Hey, you're a leader of everyone below you. And, um, almost to like a fault because I could hear in my office, I could hear someone yelling, I am a corporal of Marines. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is going to go well.
0: I kind of understand (laughs) it in a way, because of the way their units are structured and stuff like that, like small unit leadership. I talked to uh, an EOD chief and a spec War tech uh, yeah. about that kind of stuff, like how that functional leadership happens at a small unit. And I, I can understand why it's necessary, but I I've said that too, where like, I've had a lot of senior leaders tell me like everybody's a leader. I'm like, no, they're not. No, they're not. I don't want to put that kind of pressure on an E2 like they barely know their way around the ship, man. Calm down. Like they're not a leader. They're not leading anybody anywhere except themselves <laughs> to the chow line. Like relax. Yeah. So like, don't like, it's like you're putting this undue pressure on the sailor to like be a leader of sailors. And it's like, that's a huge responsibility that, Oh, by the way, we're not doing anything formally to prepare them for. Yeah. So it's like, it's almost like you're handicapping them from the very beginning. And like, if I telling them they're a leader and it's like, I don't, I wouldn't have as much of a problem with it. Like you were saying, if they spent more time preparing them, which it seems like all the other services do. And I don't, I've never experienced it. So I don't know how robust it is, but I know they have like a, a PMK or like a, some kind of requirement before they promote to do some kind of, uh, education. Like the air force has its own freaking community college. Yeah. Uh, the Army's got NCO academies all over the place. So
1: yeah. Same um, thing with the Marine Corps that they'll okay. have a class for like pretty much every, every pay grade they go up. Yeah. Um, where they'll, they'll talk about leadership and, and like we were talking before, maybe before the podcast about just like the culture of the Marine Corps and the pride that they take, Right. like so much of their leadership is driven by that pride and by like their history. And so at every like opportunity, they, from battalion commander all the way down uh, to the lowest people in the battalion, they're talking about that stuff. I'm not like glorifying it. Like not everybody's into it. Right. <laughs> I
0: love it, man. I, I'll but, glorify it all day. I I'm a big history nerd, man. I started doing, I used to do history segments and now I'm starting to do history episodes. And cause I think that like, that's where that pride can can come from. I, yeah. I'm not saying necessarily saying it's all that, but, but it's a big part of it. Like the, yeah. the looking back at our history and, and taking pride in the fact that we have all these summary Medal of Honor winners and we have all these yeah. crazy stories like go read Thunder Below and tell me you're not going to get excited, man. Like, yeah. like the exploits of Mac, like Flucky and like uh, <laughs> Dick O'Kane, like just it's nuts. And so it's like, I don't think uh. we spend enough time on it. You know what I mean? And it's like, I think that that's something that if we did it similarly, that that pride would kind of almost happen organically. Like if it was yeah. built into our DNA at the beginning. Yeah. Not fair. like it is then. Yeah.
1: So, like, every do you guys do, like, uh, it's been a while. Do you do, like, a weekend brief or anything like that before everyone goes off? Um, we, so, we don't really do that, right? Because like, well, we so much duty.
0: <laughs> yeah, we kind of, uh, we would do all-hands quarters on the pier kind of thing, like, every Friday, and they'd be, don't drink a drive
1: or hit your yeah. wife kind of thing. So, like Yeah, exactly. So the Marines it. do that, too. And mm-hmm. um, I remember going to the first few of those with battalion commander stands up there, and, um, like, the first one... Um, tells like, you know, on this date 50 years ago and he like goes into whatever happens and then everyone's just like, you know, like every eye is locked on him. He's like, Hey, what happened Marine? What happened on this day? And then yeah, of course they know. And then everyone's like, yeah, Yeah,
0: that's awesome. So there was
1: like stuff like that. There was, um, this other time I remember the town commanders like three pounds or whatever it was, like whatever, uh, weight, the resistance is on the trigger of their, their M4 that's all it takes, but da, 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 da. And he goes off on this, this speech and I'm like, dude, I feel like I'm in a movie and like, I want to yeah, be,
0: that's I want to so be cool. a Marine. I want to be infantry <laughs> Marine right now.
1: Yeah. And, um, they do, they do have a way of just connecting and maybe stuff that we would say in the Navy is a little cheesy or we just don't take the time. or too busy to, yeah, to talk I, about. Um, but they'll talk about it. And yeah. Maybe even dramatically. And I'm like, dude, like my heart's beating a little bit. Yeah. I think they
0: just, (laughs) I think they just don't man. And I'll give you two examples of why I think that it's like, it's not as boring or whatever there you're, we're just, it's not built into our culture because so I was a, I was a chief and then the SEL at CSA school. Right. So if you think about it, and and I'm, I'm very aware of the perception of my career field in the Navy, right? Like (laughs) we get, we are the butt of a lot of jokes. Like in, in real life, in practice, like people that failed out of other A schools would get sent to us. Like I, I know, like kind of the way that we're viewed, right? Yeah. So, so if I know that, the instructors know that, and then it, it eventually gets passed on to the students somehow. And I don't know how, how, but that early in the training pipeline, they knew that that was the perception of them. <laughs> So you'd have a hard time motivating these students. You had a lot of students there that wanted to be an aviation electrician and they wanted to be a sonar tech or whatever, and they didn't academically perform in their previous pipeline and got sent to us. Yeah. So I got in front of the staff one day and I was getting so frustrated with it that I just snapped and I like went off on this rant about how they're all lucky to be there and here's why. We got six Medal of Honor winners. We got Jacob Wasby, who was the first mention of the, 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 like the title chief in relation to rate of rank. And you can ask any chief in the Navy who the first chief was, and they will tell you it was Jacob Wasby, a ship's cook, on the USS Alfred that served with John Paul Jones. Like, <laughs> I win. And then I talk about, like, uh, Leonard Harmon, William Pinckney, Dory Miller, all got ships named after him. All African-American, all won the Navy Cross for valor. They didn't, they didn't win it for making eggs. Like, so you just... <laughs> I would go off on all that and it was like, I lost, I snapped and just lost it and went off on this rant about how they are all lucky to be there. And this is the story that you're a part of now. And this is your heritage and now you're in it and blah, blah, blah. And I like, I went off on a pretty epic rant and when I was done. Like the students were like hyped because that's easy, right? <laughs> their their hoo ya button is big and shiny and red still. It's yeah. super easy. Yeah. Yeah the staff came up to me and was like, I want to go run through a brick wall. Like I didn't know any of the, like they know, like if you walk up to a a standard issue cook in the fleet, they know who Dory Miller is the end, like pretty much universally, unless they've come across my podcast or done independent research or whatever. Like, so you, you tell them all these things. It's like six medal of honor winners, six, like go do the research. And it's just like, I, it's, it's, it's something that you can do and you can get them hyped about that. And I, if I can do it at CSA school, anybody can do it. <laughs> and I did it at, um, on the BN. Right. So like the most boring, f- like version of submarining there is. Yeah. Uh, we were, I was filling in as the cob for two weeks and it, I was pretty new to the ship too. So it was kind of nuts. Like the, the guys didn't know me that well. And he just, uh, it's a long, boring story, but the cob disappeared a lot. <laughs> so I filled in for him for like two weeks and I went to a brief with the XO and, uh, they kind of do the uh, missile tech briefs, which is who I was talking to very, it's like a nuke brief, very formal, very like they they have a very procedural way of going about it. They do it very similarly every time to make sure all the boxes are checked because of course, okay, yeah. and then, uh, at the end, they kind of go up the chain of command. Do you got anything chief? Do you got anything senior Cobb XO CO if he's there or whatever? So they got to me and, uh, they had had a bunch of like procedural issues recently. And it's, it's very much like the nuclear world where there's a critique and there's a, they might have uh, to send a message and well, all that's a bad
1: crap, word. Right? I haven't thought about that. Word yeah, man. <laughs> well,
0: yep yep <laughs> So that like, it's very, it's a huge deal when they have a procedural issue with uh, Swiss stuff. Okay. So we were in there and I'm like, and they had had a bunch, they had, they were stumbling. They just had a bunch of issues recently. So everybody's heads hanging low everybody's real demotivated. They're like, oh, we got to do this again. We're probably going to screw something up and then there's going to be a critique, that kind of thing. So I kind of like, I'm like, okay, I know what I got to do here. Let's push this who ya button. So I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, like talking to them about what they do for a living. And if you think about, if you talk to submariners, it's like, oh yeah, BN guys are part-time submariners. Those guys don't do anything, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you do five knots of nowhere, punching holes in the ocean. <laughs> so I'm like in MCC where they, that's like their control area control center. And, uh, I started getting them hyped, man. I'm like, you guys know what you do for like, you guys should not be hanging your heads low. Do you know what you do? Do you know what you're trusted with? Like you have the power to destroy the world. Like you are destroyers of worlds. Like that's a huge deal, a huge responsibility that you have to be trusted with this awesome technology and power. And just like went off on this rant about it. And I did a little research about it. I said some stuff I probably forgot, but, and it's like, (laughs) I got done, walked out. Exo's like patting me on the back. He's like, that was awesome, senior. And I'm just like, it's not, And it's not because I'm some great public speaker. It's like, I'm not terrible at it, but it's not, it's not, I'm not the only one that knows how to do this. Like I'm not the only one that can do this. I I understand that my passion for these things is like very, um, it's a it's a tool that I can use to get people hyped up and to motivate them to do things. Like I, I, and I understand that that knowledge helps too, but that the heritage stuff, like just like you were saying, it's like anybody could stand up in front of a group of people and start kind of going down that road, like that type of a speech that those Marines were making. And I'm just like, that's, that's all it takes, man, to start building that pride into our DNA and like using that as a motivator. I'm just like, I, it's so underutilized and it drives me absolutely nuts, man. Cause it's like, it's such an easy, even when people are bitter and jaded, like they have pride in being part of the submarine force or pride in being part of the CBs or whatever. Yeah. And so like that hoo button might be a little smaller. might be a little like <laughs> dusty and hard to find, but I'm telling you right now, the easiest path to it is through exactly what you described. Like it's just start mashing that button and it's like, it's, it works. And everyone loves the
1: story. You, you yeah, tell a good story for you get sure. Hooked in and they're like, yeah, I could be yep. that. That could be us. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah.
0: I had a, I did a podcast a long time ago on this guy. They had this, um, I don't remember. I think he was there. I'm pretty sure he was there. They did a bunch of, uh, like they called them, lead, uh, no, lectures of opportunity when I was at the Senior Enlisted Academy. So it was like you did all your stuff during the day. You're done like 1700 and like 1830, they would have a lecture of opportunity that was like voluntary and they'd yeah. bring in guest speakers and stuff. There's this one guy and I, I his name's going to escape me because I wasn't planning on talking about it, but I, there's an episode. It was one of my earlier ones called Leading with Stories. And that's this guy. That's what he talks about it is um, I think he was a Marine. Um, I can't remember. Anyway. He talks about that, like the power of leading with stories and gives like really great examples of it. And that was something that like I kind of it was one of those things like I never really put it together, but I kind of I did it because I knew heritage would work, but I didn't I didn't lead with stories the way he described it. And so like when I listened to his talk, I would like it hit it punched me right in the face and I was just like, oh, okay. like this. (laughs) Everybody likes the story. Everybody can relate to it. Um, you connect with the people, you draw them in like the yada, yada. And it's just like, okay, now I get it. Like I can totally use this as a tool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's easy and it's fun. And, yeah, uh, for sure. I think it's easy even for speakers, like, uh, cause you can tell a story more than you can like rehearse a speech. Yeah. And so it just comes out natural. It's better.
0: And that's, better yeah, time. that's how I like doing it too. Like I, I would, uh, like even when I gave graduation speeches and stuff or like, when I do the podcast, like I very, very rarely have anything written down. Like when I do, it's like, if I do a history episode, I do a bunch of research. So I'll have like an outline. Um, And there's a lot of times where I'm like, quote, like I'm reading from like an excerpt from something or from a book or whatever. But the vast majority of them, it's like, I have an outline with, Hey, I need to talk about this thing. And then I just talk because it's like, when I feel like when you hear that kind of stuff and it's organic and they can tell that you're just talking to them and it's conversational that people connect with it a lot more easily than if it's like this really polished professional delivery of a script or something. <laughs> I, I couldn't do that even if I wanted to, but, yeah. uh,
1: you gotta be yourself. A really hard time yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man.
0: Love it. Um, any save rounds or alibis, sir? Anything we didn't talk about that you want to?
1: No, man, it's been, uh, yeah, Force a I have it. will probably never go away. Just call me chaps. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's going to be the that name of the feels way too, right?
0: No, I mean, I chaps is easy. That's like, that's what I'd probably call you if I saw you, but or Johnny Utah. I, I don't know if you saw that in the email, but I, I remember. No, I'm looking at
1: that right now. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I haven't been called that in a while. A long
0: time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was really, really good uh connecting with you again as well. I really appreciate you doing this. Um I know there'll be, there was a demand signal just from the question that I got, but also like, the information, uh, provided, especially this kind of stuff where it's like, they can come talk to you, no strings attached, nothing's going to get told to anybody. Um, I think you guys are probably an underutilized resource in my experience from my end of it, uh, probably definitely an underutilized resource. Not that like people don't kind of passively know that it, Oh yeah, I could go talk to the chaplain, but I don't think they really understand what they would get if they did. You know what I mean? No. I think, so yeah, I think it'll be good. I
1: get that. That's a big part of just walking around. I think just, yeah, for sure. If people don't see you, they're not going to, who's going to come talk to you. Right.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Develop a little familiarity and yeah. So I really appreciate your time.
1: Hey, it's been great talking to you too. Um, awesome, man. You've come a long <laughs> way. It's good to hear. Like, I know, man. It's <laughs> wild.
0: I, I run into people, uh, cause from back then, like, I remember even on my first shore duty, uh, I was standing base CDO as a first class and my chief brought me to the chief's club is like, bring your right hand man day. Yeah. And uh, our, our cob first cob at the time, the torpedo man. Yeah. He was the, he was a CMC somewhere down there and he walked into the chief's club and almost like fell over because he couldn't <laughs> believe that. A, I was in the Navy still. B, my uniform was squared away. C, I was a first class. D, I was standing CDO for the entire base, which I was like one of two first classes that did it. It was mostly chiefs and officers. And then I uh, was there with my chief as his right hand. He was like, "Wow, like, wouldn't have called that," you know.
1: Like that's yeah, funny.
0: He almost fainted. I think it was hilarious. But he was, I- I saw yeah, him
1: not too long ago. Actually, did you? He really? Had, uh, the Army Navy game. He's got a big old beard now. I didn't recognize. Oh him at yeah, first time. yep.
0: Yeah, I ran into him um, a few times when I was in Connecticut, and that was it. And then I think he retired not too long after that. But yeah, <laughs> all right. I hope you guys like that. Uh, I really fun catching up with him. I haven't, I haven't gotten to have that type of a long conversation with him in a really long time. Uh, great guy. I mentioned it. Um, we were discuss. We talked before the podcast. So I'm not sure if it made it into the episode or not, but we talked about he's one of the two junior officers on board my first submarine that were directly responsible for me qualifying in submarines and what i mean by that is i went through some some pretty rough (laughs) uh, i went through a rough patch in my first year um and him and another lieutenant were the two that recognized there was something there and kind of dragged me kicking and screaming through the last part of my submarine calls because i kind of like threw my hands up because i was really frustrated with leadership in my interactions with them and just kind of felt like I couldn't do anything right. So what's the point of doing anything at all? And I was just like, nah, I'm not doing it. This is stupid. You guys are mean to me and treat me like crap no matter what. And so I kind of gave up a little bit, but, uh, he's, he's one of the two guys that dragged me kicking and screaming through that. So I just wanted to say thank you again. Uh, I mean, I, we, we talked about it, but it, that's, it was pretty, pretty incredible that, um, those guys did that. And I don't know that they recognize what they did for me back then. So uh, thank you I appreciate it and uh, if you guys need anything from us or have any questions comments concerns not only uh, hit us up but uh, Chaps's email is in the show notes so check that out uh, or you can hit us up don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com you can Facebook message us don't give up the shit podcast or you can hit us up on Instagram or Reddit at DGS podcast or just DGUS podcast for both the sub and to DM me uh, reach out if you got questions comments concerns about anything Uh, And I highly, highly encourage all of you to leverage the resource that is your chaplain. Um, Really pretty awesome. And I've used them more than once in my life. And then I've gotten some training from them uh, when I was doing my cob calls. And it's it's a great, great resource. Help us out, like, share, subscribe, comment, review all the things on all the platforms for podcasts and social media. It helps us out to get the word to the people that need it. Uh, And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship.